Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Samuel, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. And thank you for the privilege of sitting down and just going over the Word of God together. Now, we're hearing, beginning to hear some good news about maybe from age 15 and up, you will be allowed out of your house until the age of 65. So that gives five more years of seniors the ability to go out. And that gives, you know, another six years of young people able to go out. So as these announcements are made and as they are implemented, let me say not just discussed, but implemented, we look forward to seeing you in all of the services together. Today, let's open up with Psalms 91. You know, it's just nice to have some good mood news in the day. You know, it's just, it's just nice to think that this thing is beginning to loosen up a little bit. Now, Psalms 91. Psalms 91, verse 1 to 16. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the cowardice there and from the dodgy pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his face you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night and the hour flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your right hand, ten thousands at your left hand. But will not come near you, you only observe your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling place, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. The disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in other ways. So they will lift up your hands, and that will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the snake. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him with my salvation. Well, we've already talked about the fact that, good news, things are, they're at least talking about loosening things up a little bit, lightening up on the curfews, lightening up on who's allowed out of their houses. Uh, prayerfully, they'll lighten up on some public transportation situations because that has been a real problem, especially in the downtown area. Brothers and sisters, this will end. It will end well. God will cause all things to work together for, for your life, all right? For your good, for your life. So sometimes lift your expectations a little bit. Don't just think about, I'm going to survive. Think about, I'm going to thrive. Now, as we go to prayer today, I want us to pray especially for full employment, that every one of our people will be fully employed. Now, now some of you, please, I'm going to get straight for a minute. Uh, I'm going to be teaching in a few weeks on how God restores our fortunes. And one of the things that God required of Job before he restored his fortunes was to pray for his comforters, to pray for those who spent so much time condemning him and kicking him when he was down. Now, some of you, you need to get your attitudes right, all right? I mean, please forgive me. You got laid off in this situation. If you keep bitterness in your heart, how can restoration flow? So let's, let's please deal with the bitterness, deal with the hostility, deal with the bad attitudes. Get your heart right and watch God bring restoration. Father, I bring to you all of my brothers and sisters. We thank you how you've kept our people employed all during this thing. Lord, there's a small group within the congregation that have really, really struggled. And Father, your eye has been upon them in their distress. 
As they've come to you in prayer, you have seen their distress. You have seen their hurt. Father, I just ask that you work a miracle for them now. I ask that you let the favor of God and the favor of man rest upon them. And Father, jobs will be given. Father, not just jobs that they're applying for now, but things they applied for long ago. Father, let the phone calls begin to come. Let people begin to get back to work in their offices. Father, let the favor of God flow for full employment at good salaries, Father, in Jesus' name. For all of the, Father, for all those girls who work in those shoe marts and those Robinsons and these casual workers, Father, they have struggled so, so much. Father, in Jesus' name, let all of the retail open back up, that those jobs will be filled. And Father, let the believers get those first jobs. For all the hotels, Father, and the restaurants, let those things reopen, that all of our people can get back to working again. Father, we thank you for how you provided for all this time. But Lord, let this thing end strong. Let this thing end strong because of your grace and your mercy. Not because we deserve it, Father, but because of your great mercy and because of your great grace given to us in Christ. Father, I pray for the hearts of those that have grown anger and hostile during this, this whole thing. Lord, did you just let a baptism of love and peace come upon their hearts? And Father, open new opportunities. As their hearts are right, Father, bring full restoration of employment. I thank you for it, Father. Lord, I again lift you the frontliners. This thing is far from over for them. Give them strength, Father. Strengthen their souls, Father. Strengthen them in their inner beings. Give them physical strength, Lord. Strengthen their immune systems. Father, let them be strong and keep watch over them. Let the angels that behold your face ever guard them in all of their ways. We thank you for it, Father. Lord, I pray for healing this morning. Father, especially for some of the seniors, they've been locked in. They don't want to say how they're feeling, Lord, because they don't want to worry their children and their grandchildren, so they keep it all to themselves. Father, let healing flow into their bodies. Oh, let your healing, let the life of the Spirit quicken their bodies. Bring healing and strength to them, Father. Let their hearts be strong, Father. Let their digestive tracts work well. Let their lungs be strong and clear. We thank you for healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship. It never fails, it never gives up, it never runs down on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, never gives up, never runs down on me. Never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never 
Our New Testament passage today picks up in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now remember, this is the wise old Apostle Paul turning to his son in the faith, Timothy, and saying, let me teach you about pastoral work. Let, let me teach you. This is a letter to a pastor about how to do successful pastoring. So he starts. Now, the Spirit expressly says, let me turn on our one note today. Now, the Spirit expressly says, that's not general, okay? This is specific speech, okay? Specific speech. This is, there's no generalization. There's no interpretation here. That in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, all right? So there's going to be a falling away. Now, we don't like to think about that. But in the latter times, some will be falling away. Not all, some. And they said they fall away by, there's a key here. This is how they fall away. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. All right? Deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. All right. Now, when you devote yourself to deceitful spirits, I mean, you, you, you start giving yourself to this deception and the teaching of demons. All right? So you're going to have to understand. Demons have doctrines that they push. I mean, think of Revelation 2 and Revelation 3 about the false doctrines that were being taught. Okay, the doctrines of demons. Now, these deceitful spirits and teachings of demons come through the insincerity of liars whose consciences have been seared. All right, so demonic teaching... flows through preachers. But preachers who are insincere, lying, and whose consciences have been seared. In other words, they've sinned so much, so often, that their conscience has been like burned with a hot iron and it doesn't feel anymore. They, they don't feel that anything they do is wrong. And he said, now some of the ways you can recognize them, now this is a few of their doctrines, not all, but a few of their doctrines, they forbid marriage. They require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. All right, so he said, now wait a minute. Some, some of these things that they teach, here, here's just a couple of them. They forbid marriage. Nobody can get married. And they require abstinence from foods that God created. Now notice, God created these foods to be received with thanksgiving. We always give thanks for our food by those who believe. God created food for us to eat. So when people go around saying they require abstinence, now some people choose, now notice the word require, this is important. There are people who choose a certain diet, like some of you have noticed that I'm losing weight, praise the Lord, after the lock-in. Well, it's because I'm just eating lean meat and vegetables. No rice, no bread, no ice cream, no sweets, okay? And it's amazing. I've lost like 12 or 13 pounds already. That's a diet. That's a choice. That's not a requirement. That's not somebody telling me I have to do that. Now, there are people who are vegetarians because they just choose to eat vegetables. There's nothing sinful about that. The word here, the key word here is require. He said, now, there are these preachers who require abstinence from foods. He said, for everything created by God is good. Everything created by God is good. Hmm. 
you know, I ate some bugs one time from Ilocos. And um, everybody was laughing because that was their, their special treat from their province. And they brought it. I think they made them with adobo. And I ate some too. Everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So people want to feed me uh, uh, dinaguan. Fine, I receive it with thanksgiving. If people want to um, feed me pork, fine, I receive it with thanksgiving. Okay. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. When you pray over things, it's made holy. If you put these things, what things? These things. that You, you don't live by these silly old, old rules. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. All right? So a preacher needs training. Well, let's just say it this way. Training. I get my pen to work. Training shows. When you've been trained in the words of faith and when you've been trained in good doctrine and you have followed those things, so you've been trained in the words of faith, good doctrine, and you have followed them, those three things show. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. All right. We can be trained in truth. Truth is trained into us as leaders, but we train ourselves in lifestyle. Train yourself in godliness. He said, Would you stop playing around all these silly little myths and all these silly little stories? Stop it. He said, Train yourself for godliness. Now, Every man of God, every woman of God, every Christian leader has to make decisions about how they will live. I looked at a young man one time, and he had been on our staff as a pastor, and then he went out and started doing his own thing and completely changed his lifestyle. And somebody said, but pastor, you trained him. I can train you in doctrine, but lifestyle they have to train themselves in. And sometimes when you're in a place where people are all living godly, the environment helps you to live godly. But when you go out on your own, then you find out who you are, and people find out who you are. For while bodily training is of some value, all right, so exercise, right over here, exercise. Bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way. Okay, so, hey, it's good to get some exercise, but training yourself in godly living is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. All right, so this godliness that you train yourself in affects this life and eternity. Ah, so this is something we really need to focus on. And I would challenge every young Christian leader today, really focus on how you live your life. Train yourself in godliness. This saying is trustworthy. Now, remember those trustworthy sayings, okay? Remember those trustworthy sayings that we keep talking about? This is another one that you need to, to add. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive, 
because we have our hopes set on the living God. All right. Notice Paul's life. He said, I toil and I strive. I am so tired of, of Christian leadership and Christian pastors who, who there is no toil and there is no striving. They just want to live a relaxed life. Excuse me. Other than Jesus, the greatest apostle that ever lived, he said, to this end, we toil and strive. He said, the reason we toil and strive is because we have our hopes set on the living God. He said, we don't toil and strive because we're doing this as a works program. He said, this is, this is not works. He said, this is not works. He said, this is, this is hope. He said, because we have our hope set on the living God. When, you, when you've got your hope, your positive, your confident expectation of future good set on the living God, you toil and strive. Hope does not relax. Well, it's going to be okay. We're just going to relax. Que sera, sera. What will be, will be. We don't live our life like that, brothers and sisters. When you have your hope, you work like a dog. Though, you know, when I say that, Sister Bev said, sweetheart, have you ever noticed our dogs? They lay around sleep all day. So, so maybe I shouldn't say that colloquialism of work like a dog. But when you've really set your hope on the living God, you toil and you strive. Who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe? Now, that, that's beautiful. God wants to save everybody, all people. There's not just some little elect. That's Calvinism. God wants to save all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. What things? These things. That he's, he said, these are the things I've just been talking about. Command and teach these things. Now, you know, young pastors, you don't need to be coming up with new revelations and new doctrines and new things to try to make yourself look all unique. <laughs> he said, these are things that will help people, all right? Teach things that will help people. Let no one despise you for your youth, all right? So despise means to think little of. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, all right? So five examples to set as a pastor. These are five examples to set. He said, even though you're young, he said, don't let anybody think, think little of you because you're young. He said, set an example. And pastors, here's the five examples we are to set. We're to set an example for the people in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. One, two, three. All right. Three focuses of a pastor. The public reading of Scripture. Now, for Timothy, that would have been the Old Testament. That's why I, I don't get these modern churches that say, we don't read the Old Testament, we don't read the, the Gospels because all that was under the law. We only read from the, from the epistles forward because that, that's grace. We only read from Acts forward because that's grace. And, you know, some of Acts you have to be careful of. And, you know, they say you can't necessarily pay attention to James and Peter because they still lived under the law. <sighs> Folks, 
read the Bible and live the Bible, okay? I mean, please forgive me. He said, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. He said, devote yourself to exhortation, preaching. Devote yourself to teaching. Now, pastors, you know, there are some preachers, the only way they can have a crowd is if they do a, a food thing and, and just make everybody feel good. Well, I'm sorry. It's not our job to create social affairs. Pastors, it's our job. Scripture, exhortation, teaching. That should be the primary focus that we have as pastors. Yes, there needs to be social events in the church, but, but let the other leaders do that. Pastors, you should be focusing on scripture, exhortation, and teaching. Now, there are some pastors that don't like to study the Bible. And because they don't like to study, when they stand up and speak, all they can do is speak boring stuff that they heard somebody else say. Uh, you know, forgive me, but that's not the focus of a pastor. Do not neglect the gift you have, ah, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid hands on you. So ordination brings impartation. Ordination should not be some dry thing being ordained into a, a denomination. Ordination should bring prophetic utterances, laying out of hands, and there should be a spiritual gift imparted in somebody. There should be some type of impartation that takes place when, when ordination happens. Now, you know, when the council of elders, not, not just one elder, when the council of elders, now elders in the Bible are synonymous with pastors, uh, bishops, shepherds, overseers. It's, it's all one concept there in Acts, okay? One chapter uses five words interchangeably when Paul was speaking to the leaders at Malta or the leaders of Ephesus and Malta. So when the council, when, when the whole group of leadership, the, the top pastoral leaders of the church, when they lay hands on you, there should be an impartation. Now, I will tell you, I, I've been in meetings like this, and impartation came into my life. His hands were laid upon me, like people like T.L. Osborne, uh, John Osteen. Uh, I mean, so, some of these incredible, incredible men of God, Young Yi Cho, when these people lay hands on you, along with a group of other men, there is an impartation that flows. And pastors, you know, you should, you should be looking for this. Practice these things. What things? The, the things that we've been talking about. Notice, he keeps talking about these things. These things. He said, practice these things. Devote yourself to it. So here we see devote again. All right, so we have devote. And we have devote. He said, Timothy, you're going to have to set some priorities. You know, folks, as a pastor, there's a gazillion things you can be doing all day long. But there needs to be focus. Devote yourself to them. So that all may see your progress. He said, the only way people see this is the path to progress. Focus. The path of the progress is not generalization. The path to progress is focus. Focus on these things. Devote yourself to these things. Practice these things so that all may see your progress. Now, two things there. Number one, the path to progress is focus. But the second thing, and you just need to get that on your inside. You want to make progress? Focus, okay? 
The other thing I want you to see there is you have no right to expect perfection from young pastors. Pastors are learning to. Pastors are going to screw up. I mean, I've, I've been your pastor over 40 years now, and I still screw up. I mean, and the problem is we make mistakes with people. And those people are you. So there'll be no perfection in our lives. But you do have the right to see progress, that we're doing better than we used to do, that we're doing better this month than we did last month. All right, progress. Keep watch, keep close watch, ah, hyphenated there, close watch on yourself and your teaching. All right, so Paul says there's two things you need to watch out for, your life and your teaching. Persist in this. Persist in what? Persist in the close watch on your life and your teaching. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now again, notice young pastors, forgive me, this comes all the way back up to here, all right? We, we have to tie all of this back up into here, okay? When pastors do not pay close attention to their teaching, stuff gets in there that doesn't belong in there. When pastors don't pay close attention to their lifestyles, stuff gets in there that doesn't belong in there. And then it affects not only you, it affects the church members. Now, now this is something pastors, and this is the scariest thing of all, because if you love people, you, you don't want your screw-ups to mess up the people. But he said, okay, we understand. Our screw-ups will mess up the people. So persist in something. Persist in policing yourself, okay? And this is kind of what it is. Police yourselves. Persist in policing yourselves. Persist in policing your lifestyle. Persist in, in policing your doctrines. He said, persist in this. Because in the, when, as you do so, you'll save yourself and you'll save your hearers. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. There's got to be more than going back and forth. We're doing right to do it wrong.
filthy wretch like this Wrap him up in righteousness But that's exactly what that's he exactly did what he Testament passage today picks up in the book of Jeremiah chapter 28 verse 1. So let's go there. In the same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, all right, so this guy, 
is a prophet from Gideon. He spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people. So this is very public. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from the place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah the prophet in the presence of all the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of God. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Yet hear now this word I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent that prophet. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, even so, notice he's saying to all the people, Thus says the Lord, even so, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within two years. But Jeremiah prophet went his way. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now notice, we call this a conflict of the prophets. One man is saying one thing, and another man is saying something completely different. And they're doing it in front of everybody. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now, your, your question would be, why did Jer Jeremiah go his way? God gave him nothing to say. You see, a real prophet of God doesn't just respond to the false prophets because they're dependent on the source. Remember how I keep taking talking about the source? They're dependent on a word from the Lord. False prophets can respond and say whatever comes into their own imagination, as the Bible says, but a true prophet has to wait for God. Now, now comes the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. All right, so now we have the source. Now we have something to say. Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put on the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. But Jeremiah said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This very year you will die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In the same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. 
Now, a conflict of prophets ends in death of the false. Now, this is Old Testament, all right? New Testament, prophets and prophecy is a very different subject. But this is a conflict because it is a conflict for influence over the people. Notice, you have made this people trust in a lie. God is trying to bring deliverance, and instead, Hananiah taught them to trust a lie. Chapter 29, verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem into Babylon. So, all right, these are the exiles, all right? These are the kings, the nobles, the priests, etc., in Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah, the queen mother, the eunuchs, and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers, had departed from Jerusalem. All right, so these exiles are defined in this verse. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, it said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease. See, his plan is to bring them back. Okay? But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, the translation says, as it prospers, so you too will prosper. Now, now look at God saying, all right, you have a season of exile. God says, I want you to prosper. I want you to be happy. Okay, God says, I want you to have a good life in this season of exile. I don't want you to decrease because God said, there is going to come a day I'm going to bring you back. So I want you to flourish and grow there. And forgive me, just like they multiplied in Egypt. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. You know, it amazes me how many people blame God for their foolish decisions and their, their foolish actions. God told me to do this. God told me to do God did not. And God is telling the, the exiles here, listen, you've got a hard season to go through, but you're, I'm going to bring you back to the land, just like I promised Moses I would always bring you back when you sin. He said, but don't listen to these people who use my name to give validity to their words. He said, don't listen to them. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you 
and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. So he says, all right, number one, live good. He said, number two, don't listen to the false people who just want to say all kinds of gobbledygook to you and blame it on me. But he said, all of that because I am going to bring you back. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you hope and a future. All right. I love that verse. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. God said, I got plans for you. <laughs> God had plans. Now, if you're going to fit into God's plans, there's some things that you need to pay attention to. You, you need to be living a good life, okay? Even, even when you've done screw-ups and, you know, you're reaping what you sowed, you know, God's going to be good to you. That's, that's just God. Remember, this is the same God who for 40 years in the wilderness, their, their clothes and shoes did not wear out, and he fed them manna and he gave them water in the desert for 40 years in spite of their rebellion. This is this wonderful God. He's so merciful. And he said, I got a plan. He said, my plan in 70 years is to bring you back. He said, so, so don't reduce over there, all right? He said, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. What a promise. What a promise. He said, you will, I will be found. He said, and I, now, now notice these things. I will be found by you. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Wow. <laughs> God said, number one, I'm going to be found by you. Number two, I'm going to restore your fortunes. Number three, I'm going to gather you. And number four, I'm going to bring you back. Four promises in God's plan. So again, he says, hey, take care of yourselves during these next 70 years, all right? Have babies, have grandbabies, okay? Prosper, be happy. Because you have said the Lord raised up for us prophets for us in Babylon. Thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in this city, your kinsmen did not go out with you into exile. Thus says the Lord, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence. And I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them. I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and pestilence, and make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, a reproach among all the nations where I've driven them. Because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent to you by my servants, the prophets, but you would not listen, declares the Lord. Okay, here is the cause. Here is the cause of a difficult life. You don't pay attention. You don't listen. And God said, I was persistent in trying to tell you. Now, now beloved, how many times have we gotten ourselves in trouble? Because God persistently, persistently, persistently spoke to us about something, and we wouldn't pay attention. Hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles whom I sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Koliah, the son of Zedekiah, the son of Maasiah, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. 
Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He shall strike them down before your eyes. All right. God's hand on false prophets who mislead the people. God loves his people. Because of them, this curse shall be used by all exiles from Judah to, to, in Babylon. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Heba, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel. Wow, they've done, they didn't just do something that was a screw up. They did an outrageous thing in Israel. They committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and they have spoken in my name lying words I did not command them. I am the one who knows, and I am witness. All right, so two sins of the false prophet. Number one, adultery, so sexual sin. And number two, lying words in God's name. Have you ever noticed how funny I am about using God's name? Been that way ever since I became a baby Christian. You know, and probably it's because my grandpa taught me, okay? You know, most of the smart things we, we know in life, we were taught by somebody. But grandpa always taught me, don't, don't keep using God's name. You know, if, if God really said something, then when it comes to pass, God gets the glory for it. He said, but Davey, too often we... We think that God said something and God didn't say something. And we get the people of God all stirred up about something and it never comes to pass. And then people begin to have lose their faith in God. Now, unfortunately, they should lose their faith in us preachers, but instead they lose their faith in God. So you're going to find that I'm really funny. I'm not a person who goes around and says, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said. Because you know what? We're all humans and we screw up and we make mistakes. So. This is an outrageous thing, okay? Sexual sin and lying words in God's name. To Shemaiah of Nehalem, you shall say, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have sent letters in your name to all the people who are in Jerusalem, and to Zephaniah, the son of Maasiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord made you priests instead of Joadiah the priest, to have charge in the house of the Lord over every madman who prophesies to put him in stocks and, and neck irons. Now, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who is prophesying to you? <laughs> All right. So this guy is calling Jeremiah a madman and telling the priests in the temple to lock him up in stocks. For he has said to us in Babylon, saying, your exile will be long, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat produce. Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now notice, source, okay, up here he did not respond. Okay, earlier he did not respond because the word of the Lord did not come to him. He was careful about just shooting his mouth off because he was attacked. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Send to all the exiles, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah of Nehalem. Because Shemaiah had prophesied to you when I did not send him, and he has made you trust a lie. He made you trust a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah of Nehalem and his descendants. He shall not have anyone living among this people. 
and he shall not see the good that I shall do for the people, declares the Lord, for he has spoken rebellion against the Lord. Wow. These two chapters are conflicts of the prophets in the Old Testament. Amazing stuff. All right. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, as we get back into the book of Romans. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ. This kind of stuff just, you know why it makes me so happy to preach? Because in my mind, I see all of your faces sitting out there in the auditorium. And I think of where God has brought you from. And I know how beautiful salvation is. God is a God who changes us. We'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.